One of my favorite things is learning about something that was previously just part of my everyday landscape, something that you see so often that it just feels routine. But then you have the chance to learn about a whole deeper level of that thing, and you never look at that ordinary everyday thing the same way again. Welcome to Data Science Mixer, the podcast that features top experts in lively and informative conversations that will change the way you do data science. I'm Susan Curry Civic, Senior Data Science Journalist for the Alteryx community. So, seeing things in a new way, that's totally what happened for me after this conversation with Cynthia O'Rourke. And in this case, it's trucks. Trucks are everywhere, moving all the things, but I have a whole new appreciation for what it takes to make that system work, and especially for the role of data science in it. Let's meet Cynthia and hear more about this fascinating area of data science. Cynthia, thank you so much for joining me today for Data Science Mixer. I'm so glad to have you here. Uh, maybe we could just start off by having you share with us your name and your current title, the company you work at, and the pronouns that you use. Sure. I'm Cynthia O'Rourke. Uh, my current title is a DS2 at DAT, a freight and analytics, and uh, my pronouns are she, her. Awesome. Thank you. So tell us a little bit about how you got into data science and what brought you to DAT. Um, so I, in college, I got a biology degree because I always wanted to go outside and hang out with the animals and the plants. And everyone who has a biology degree knows that that is not what you get to do with a biology degree. <laughs> I went into grad school. <laughs> no, you don't. You you write a lot of grants. So I went into grad school uh, for a doctorate out of undergrad and ended up with a large pile of behavioral data. I was doing a doctorate in evolutionary behavior. So the intersection of how natural selection and uh, behavioral pressures come together to evolve these these strategies, the behavioral strategies, and, and specifically mating systems in fish. So I took to statistics pretty quickly over the course of nice. the biology degree. And when I ended up with this intentionally giant but also complex pile of data relative to the other data sets in my lab, I couldn't approach it with our standard tools. So our standard tools would be like t-tests and ANOVAs um, and principal components analyses. And that just wasn't going to cut it for all the different nested variables that I had for this data set. So I needed to do what was at the time um, considered like cutting edge, confusing modeling in my department. And that's generalized linear mixed modeling. And I went to our statistics department and they were like, we have heard of it. And I went to our ecology department, which was the really statsy corner of the life sciences. And they were like, we too have heard of it. But no one on campus was able to, <laughs> to help me with it. So I, I really got the opportunity to dig into, over the course of a year, our work, a lot of modeling and scripting and trying to get papers through publication with these techniques that I had to largely self-teach, along with, you know, everything Ben Bolker yeah. has written on the internet. He's kind of the guru of this modeling, and he is just a gem. His comments will lead you through the process. And so I learned a lot of R and I learned a lot of clustering and a lot of, um, uh, you know, a lot of generalized linear modeling, which for the record, like generalized linear modeling, that's basically a logistic regression with uh, mixed effects slapped on top. So when we think of logic, you know, that kind of like baseline data science technique, that's a binomial generalized linear model. So it took me, <laughs> it took me like two months before I woke up at like 4 a.m. and was like, oh, Logistic regression is just a generalized linear model. I've been doing this for years. So <laughs> it's, the terminology is different, but the, the work that I was doing was really similar to what a data scientist does. I didn't nice. know that data science existed at the time, though. Sure. So I continued with biology, and I got into teaching. 
And I moved out to Portland, Oregon and went into behavioral genomics so that I could look at the genes underlying behaviors and not just the evolutionary processes. <laughs> um, awesome. And then eventually I was actually dating a guy in tech and he mentioned that I would make a good data scientist. And I said, what is a data scientist? I love this oh, combination wow. of words because I love data and I am definitely a scientist. Tell me more. Sounds like destiny. Right? And so a data scientist turns out gets to be the person who is just handed giant volumes of data. Now, it's not necessarily in great condition, but giant volumes of data. And you're supposed to make something useful out of it for a company. And I was like, that sounds amazing. <laughs> so I set, my, I, I set my sights on that um, summer of like 2018. Um, and then I was hired on at DAT Freight and Analytics about six months into 2019. So it's that easy. It's that easy. You just hear about data science and then the next thing you know, you are one. <laughs> That's how it goes. <laughs> so yes, I like this. This is an amazing career path and, and career destination. Just hear about data science and just start doing it. And <laughs> It's amazing how that has uh, come into a really neat role for you at DOT. So tell us a little bit about um, some of the work that you do. So I do a lot of ad hocs, which I think any working industry data scientist will tell you that a lot of your work is going to be ad hocs. Um, you're in a position, especially in a medium to large company, where you get to know the data really well. And so when there's not a question that is appropriate for like the financial analyst or, you know, a specific product success analyst, when it's more general, uh, they often go to the data science team. And so we around the team trade off a fair number of ad hoc analytic requests. So there's a lot of my time that's spent doing like correlation heat maps, <laughs> stuff like that. Um, dealing with federal data, uh, especially messy federal data, has been a huge part of, of my life and my SQL journey. <laughs> so you do a lot of that. And I actually, I really like those because they give me a chance to learn about our customers and our marketplace and how our company functions in ways that I wouldn't necessarily have learned otherwise because you have to go digging. Sure. So it's like a little, a little research project. And then the rest of the time is spent on productionizing, um, you know, turning records, which is what I think of as data, into revenue for the company, which means we are selling it to someone, internal or external. I generally work on externally facing products. Uh, and so the, the process of hitting some kind of algorithmic success metric that serves a customer success metric, which is, I think, probably you've heard from a bunch of other people, very little of that is actually the algorithms. Like there is a, a ton of that is it's figuring out who the customer is, talking with the stakeholders, talking with the domain experts, getting comfortable with the data, what it can and can't do. Um, and trying to figure out like what success looks like and how to measure it along several different axes. So I'm in a lot of meetings, <laughs> a lot of meetings. Yeah, I bet. <laughs> um, but it's really fun because I get to learn about freight trucking. And that is an, a wildly complex ecosystem. Yeah. I, yeah. And I like how you call it an ecosystem. Yeah. Well, and I come out, I'm biased because I come out of an, an ecological background, like behavioral ecology. Um, so I'm really comfortable with these heterogeneous spaces where like nothing is independent. Things kind of... Mm cycle back onto themselves and you can't you can't assume that any two things are exactly like one another like everything's a little bit different and the data is incredibly messy and that is absolutely true so just take we have we have three basic customer types in my company we have truckers so you know people you see out on the road driving trucks but also the companies behind them so the people back in their offices that are dispatching loads for those trucks to carry uh 
uh, taking care of the insurance requirements, the federal bond requirements. Like there's whole businesses that essentially carry freight. So that's one, the truckers. And then we have the shippers. And those are the people that have freight to move. So this is kind of interesting because they don't think of themselves as shippers. Like Walmart doesn't think of itself as a shipper. But for us, they're a shipper because they have things to move. And then the third is this intermediary partner called, uh, called brokers. And a broker is they just they mediate the transaction between the shipper and the trucker. So they never actually hold the load, but they, they make that handshake happen. And so we have these three customer bases, and that alone would be, you know, a fairly complex set of demographics. But then think about, like, all the people in the country that have things to ship. Like, if you've ever mailed a package, you are technically a shipper. Right. <laughs> so you and I are shippers. <laughs> but then so is, like, Kraft Foods. Yeah. A little different scale. <laughs> yeah. 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 And then if you think of truckers, my Uncle Bill back in Michigan was a owner-operator for a long time. And he owned his truck. He was leased onto a company and he drove his truck. So he is a trucker, that guy with one truck. Um, on the other hand, there are, you know, Amazon is also a carrier, as we would call it. So they are a trucker. They have a huge fleet of trucks. So there's that wide range there. And then brokers, the same thing. Like some brokers are just little operations of three or four people. And some are C.H. Robinson, which is four times larger than the next largest broker in the country. Yeah, amazing. Yeah, so it's this wonderfully diverse set of customers. And then we have this, we have this amazing set of data. Well, I, I say set like it's one set of data, but our company goes back 42 years now, 43 years now. So we were originally a cork board uh, on a North Portland truck stop, Jubit's truck stop. <laughs> I love this story. <laughs> yeah. No, I've actually, I've been to this truck stop. I have not seen the cork board, but I've been to this truck stop. And so <laughs> people who had a load, like, I've got a load. I need to get this load of whatever's out of Portland, Oregon this Saturday, and I need to get it to New York City by the end of the week. And they would stick that load on an index card on the cork board. <laughs> and truckers, like my Uncle Bill, <laughs> would bring his truck to Portland and, like, bike around town and then be ready to take something else. Like, well, I'm heading to the East Coast. I could take your load. So Uncle Bill would look at that index card and he would call the number and he would negotiate to carry that load back for a certain rate. And that's called a spot rate. And that is a rate that has not been agreed on long in advance. It was just an index card on a corkboard. And we handle those like that. We are still <laughs> that kind of a system, only we are now handling just shy of a million loads per business day on our load board, which is very digital now. That would be a lot of index cards. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so the Jubitz brothers built out that index card situation to first just monitors in truck stops around the country. So you could look up at the monitor because the index cards were getting stolen. <laughs> um, humans are humans. So over time, uh, to this massive database and this massive number of transactions every day, which we then can collect signals from that. For example, the number of loads that are posted gives you an indication of the demand for trucks in the country, rather. And that can change by region to region. So if Portland, Oregon currently has a ton of loads posted, we know that if you're in a trucker, you're in a really good bargaining position to ask for a higher mm. rate to take one of those loads out of Portland, Oregon. And conversely, if there's not very many loads posted, or if a bunch of trucks have posted, because we also let trucks post themselves to our load board, oh, okay. then you know as a trucker that you are not in a good bargaining position. Mm -hmm. So... That's some of the data that we have. We also have rates data. So we track over time how much it costs to move a load around the country. And that is uh, really important data for a lot of people who are calculating what they should be asking for to move a load or what they should be paying to move a load. And that's called our rate view database. Um, we have a bunch of other data on top of that. We're just, we are filthy rich in data. And it is a delight if you love working with data, which I do. Like, it's just an embarrassment of riches. That's awesome. 
one of our newer D- DSs, Andrew Sandal, refers to it like a kid in a candy store. <laughs> it's like that. <laughs> That's great. And you mentioned the federal data as well. So how is that working into your process to the, to the degree you could talk about that? You know, the federal data is awesome in this country. Like what our tax dollars do for us in terms of generating and storing data is amazing. So you could you could just sort through different data sets at the federal level all day and never get to the end of it. Like never find out how many different feeds there are out there. Um, fortunately, I only have to look at the macroeconomic and the freight and trucking data. <laughs> so, and it requires some cleaning. It's a it's a big data set. Uh, and mm-hmm. it is there's a lot of human entered data. And especially the smaller truckers cannot necessarily be trusted to be careful on what they enter. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Sure. But once you've got those that cleaning logic, like you get this insight into like what the fleet sizes are. So how many of my Uncle Bill, how many owner operators are out there driving mm-hmm. right now? Um, how many of the Amazons are out there right now? Uh, of those two groups of people, like where are the drivers? Right now we have a driver shortage in the country. So which companies are succeeding in hiring a bunch of drivers? Which companies are losing their drivers to other company sizes? We just There's a ton of data in there. And so, yeah, I, I just once a month, um, Snowflake is populated with that data. We've set up a Python script that pulls it off the Internet, unzips it, and throws it to Snowflake. We have a great uh, data engineering team. And then I've got a little Python notebook that just runs and automatically aggregates it all. And we can all just take a glance, like, easily at what's happening in the fish population or the trucker population this month. <laughs> Very cool. That's actually, if I were starting off in data science, I, a lot of people do, like, Kaggle competitions, and they look at very similar data sets. The federal data trove is incredible. Like, there's so many things out there. And it's not really well annotated. But if you just dig, like, the the Bureau of Labor Statistics and these... Sometimes these time series go back for decades. So, like, go to the FRED, the F-R-E-D, the, uh, it's an economic database that will just let you plot data um, in real time. And you can pull down the CSVs if you find it interesting. And, like, that's where I would go if I were just starting off on data science right now to get some, some interesting data sets. Yeah. Also, your tax dollars pay for it. So. Yeah, yeah. Might as well use what you're paying for, right? <laughs> yeah, that's cool. That FRED... Fred website is is very cool. I have looked at that before. And you can even do, I think, seasonality adjustments or get seasonality adjusted data sets yeah. and all sorts of stuff. It's it's pretty pretty yeah. neat. Or take the seasonality out if you want to do your own seasonality adjustments. Yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Nice. Very cool. Um, so I think um you had mentioned too like a recommender system that you're working on. Is that something that you can tell us a bit about? Yeah. So we have um we don't just have access to that federal data. Uh, we also have a long history of a lot of those federal data stores. Um, so not all of that federal data is maintained indefinitely by the agencies that report it, but we capture that. So we capture a lot of that and we store it in Snowflake. Um, and so we have this, this problem for shippers and for brokers, the people who handle the transactions between truckers and shippers, where you need to keep a pool of reliable truckers that you can reach out to on short notice. So if you have a load to move this Saturday, you need to be able to get in touch with someone this Saturday who has a truck that's in the right position and that you can trust, who has the right insurances to move that load. So you have to keep this kind of constantly refreshed Rolodex of contacts of carriers. And we have, uh, our company has about 100,000 carrier customers, which is a a good size number. And we also have some data that I'm I'm not going to speak to specifically, but we have some data that is great for training a model on the preferences that brokers have for carrier customers. So, yeah. So who would you like to do business with? And Uh more importantly for me as a data scientist, 
what attributes are informative of who you want to do business with. So like mm -hmm. of all these different ways we could describe a, a tracker, you know, the fleet size, the kind of equipment they have, the geographies they run in, like which of these matters to you? And so I did some machine learning work, like actual machine learning work to, to pull out what's most informative signal wise. Yeah. So like, what do they actually care about? What are the things that are most predictive of whether or not this person is going to be in their network? <laughs> and then I, I worked downstream and I've simplified it into a, a Euclidean distance scoring model with some extra little like zhuzhs on it uh, so that we can host it very, very quickly in AWS. Sweet. So you can run it, you can literally cycle through you know, several million carriers and dozens of attributes every day and get like a list of 200 for every carriers. So this enables us then to turn around and offer to our customers, if you need a specific carrier that is like this carrier, here's a list in ranked order of carriers that we can recommend that are like that carrier. And if you give us a list of carriers you like, we can take a second pass at that and give you a, a list-based recommendation. So you, you seem to like this kind of carrier mm -hmm. on top of this specific carrier. So we're going to tell you, you know, a list of 200 of this kind of carrier to reach out to. So it's a, it's almost like a, a networking uh, recommender like LinkedIn does. Yeah. Yeah. That's very cool. And this is something that is, is still in the works or something you've already deployed or? Um, still a work in progress as far as getting it out to the customers, but it's embedded in a series of features, which I'm not allowed to talk about, <laughs> which, sure, are, sure, sure. <laughs> which are like currently in beta customers' hands right now. So be out there shortly. It's actually, it steals the basic structure of the uh, LinkedIn first pass, second pass network expanding thing. Um, they had a really good idea and I love their algorithm. So I thought I'd, I'd crib their notes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I just love the, the creativity though in taking that to trucking. I mean, as somebody with no knowledge of the industry, like that's not something that would have occurred to me, but I, I think that's such a neat application of that concept. I mean, when you're doing it, I figure one of the first steps when you are developing a data science product and you have gotten as far as to know what you're trying to deliver. So that's actually pretty far into the process. But once you've talked with the stakeholders and you know what you're trying to deliver, like one of the first steps is to go on the Internet and see which generous company has told you how they've done something similar. <laughs> so like Stitch Fix is really good about doing this. Oh, They'll do yeah. a full tour yeah. through their algorithm stack. LinkedIn was very open on especially the engineering and technical end of what they do. <laughs> uh, there's just some companies out there that are willing to gift you with like what has worked for them and you can go touch their product and decide if you like that output. <laughs> and then you can steal that structure. So why not? Yeah, absolutely. Oh. Absolutely. Very cool. You mentioned some of the issues that you faced with some of the messy data that comes up, um, even like handwritten data and so forth. And it sounds like this is something something you strangely enjoy. But uh, <laughs> what are some of the strategies that you've used to deal with that, especially some of the stuff that's just, you know, maybe inconsistent or untrustworthy? Well, so the report that I handed off this morning, there is like one line in the Python that is just exclude these three people. Like, not these guys. So it's like, you know, we're looking at millions and millions of, of truckers in the United States and like not these three, though. Right. And yeah. they weren't added all at once. Like you'd, you'd do something, you'd process the data, the data would do something really strange. You'd dig into it and you'd be like, oh, Joe, Joe in New Jersey with a single tow truck. You do not have a fleet of 10,000 trucks. Joe, I am going to <laughs> remove you from the database going forward. And so there's a lot of that. We had actually this morning, um, we have someone that we're going to have to add a note in about because they slammed our system and it looks like they posted too many loads. So we're going to have to clean them out. So it's like 
So we have these measurements of how many loads are posted, and then suddenly you get this giant spike, and the spike isn't real. And so we have to then post-process and, and remove that um, person yeah. and whatever it is they were doing on that side. So there's a lot of that. But freight and logistics in general, it's a, it's a long-standing industry. You know, I mean, the railroads mm -hmm. expanded this country. So, like, it is, it's foundational to the United States, which means that there is a lot of tradition. And there are hmm. lots of the ways that we've done things. And there's a lot of data that's on like carbon copies or, <laughs> you know, written on, on hand scrawled bills. Actually, the pandemic was good about getting people to move to eDocs. Um, so that's oh, kind of yeah. nice. There's, there's like a lot of people's backend systems don't talk to other people's backend systems. Like they don't speak the mm. same language. They're on the same formats. When customers want to submit data to us, we have to figure out how to clean it up and make it play with everyone else's data when we post our rate stuff. Wow. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, it's, it's this big heterogeneous data ecology as well as a, a user and problem ecology. And that requires a lot of not making assumptions. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. Not making assumptions and carefully EDAing not just your input data, but also the output you get. Mm. And thinking about why that output might look a certain way and whether that matches up with reality. I, I call it sniff testing. And I will often send it to mm -hmm. other people in the company and be like, does that look like it? <laughs> like, are we in yeah, the right ballpark yeah. at least? Like, yeah. what's happening here? <laughs> so there's, there's a lot of, it's just a legacy field. There's a lot of money coming into it right now, freight and trucking and logistics. Um, there's been a lot of eyeballs on us over the last two years because of COVID. Sure. And everyone's like, toilet paper, food. <laughs> housing materials, what's happening? And we're like, we know, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> we know what's happening. Yeah. Um, so there's, there's been a lot of interest, but even before that, there was a lot of venture capital flowing into the space because there's so much space for technological optimization, mm -hmm. for pulling inefficiencies out, for making things faster, for making people be able to do their jobs more rapidly with less tedium, mm -hmm. um, for increasing like analytics and data insight into the field. Like there's just, it is so much low hanging fruit and... <laughs> Giant bodies of very messy data, which if you can crack open, are just rich, just fantastic. So, for example, um, the Koch brothers, uh, last year I believe it was, funded a startup that is going to automate um, the unloading of trucks in docks, so in the delivery docks, via, uh, what do they call those things? Little pallet lifters? <laughs> oh, forklifts? Like forklift. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. So automated forklifts. So everyone's talking about, you know, automated long haul trucking and automated cars. And the Koch brothers are thinking automated forklifts to unlock the trucks because the trucks, when they get stuck in those loading docks, like that can be three to 10 hours out of a trucker's day. And wow. they are regulated. They can only drive for certain periods of time. So that can mm -hmm. take them off the road for like a giant chunk of their week where they, they can't drive for that chunk. Yeah. Like they just lose those hours as far as the federal government's concerned. They're not allowed to use them to drive. Right. So if you can. If you can make loading docks more efficient, you can effectively put more trucks on the road. You can increase the capacity of the freight systems in the United States. Interesting. Tons of venture capital, tons of low-hanging fruit, really messy data. Yeah. <laughs> Fair amount of baby duck syndrome, too. A lot of people are like, we have done this this way forever. Please don't make me learn something new. I'm very busy. <laughs> okay, baby duck syndrome. I don't think I've heard that phrase. You'll have to tell me that one. Like, so, you know, when, when Google changes something about its interface and you're like, I hate this, and then you forget about it a day later. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yep, yep, yep. Yeah. So um, it's actually Tinbergen, I think, studied the ducks. And uh, little baby ducks will imprint on the first thing they see. And they'll imprint oh. on, and I don't think this is, yeah, so they'll follow, like, the mama duck. Yeah, yeah. But if the first thing they see is a boot, <laughs> like an ecologist's boot, <laughs> oh, then they will no. follow that boot. 
<laughs> so it's not that the boot is the right thing to follow. It's that they've imprinted on it and they have baby duck syndrome. Oh, okay. All right. That makes sense. Oh, man. <laughs> That's too funny. I love it. I love how we've gotten into fish mating and, and baby ducks imprinting carrots. We've covered a lot of territory. <laughs> Good stuff. Well, I wanted to ask you a question that we always ask on the podcast. Um, we call this the alternative hypothesis. Uh, so what's something um, that people think is true about data science or about being a data scientist that you have found in your experience to be false? So much, so much, um, like so much. <laughs> but I think my favorite thing, because I love being wrong, especially about something that like I'm really <laughs> insistent that I'm right about. <laughs> um, I heard of uh, auto ML, so automated machine learning. And I was like, uh -huh. that is I. That is the stupidest thing I've ever heard of. Like, <laughs> are you kidding me? This is a bad idea. So like extreme negative reactions, sneering, all that stuff. And then like a year later at uh, DAT Freight and Analytics, I got a chance to sit in on a demo from an AutoML platform. Uh -huh. And once I understood what they were trying to do, the things they were and were not trying to automate, I was like blown out of the water because the mm. things they're trying to automate, and this is this is where my own like ego comes in. Oh, you can't automate my job. Like our job as data scientists is to automate and take the tedium out of other people's work. Like mm. to make sure that you don't have to sit down and try and draw your own forecast of a time series every single day. We're, right. we're going to automate that. We're going to make that to make sure you don't have to process your own PDFs all day, every day. Like that's literally my job. And I was like, oh, no one can do that to my job. But like, <laughs> I'm not a forklift. <laughs> Exactly. But that's what they're doing. I mean, they are automating out the process of data cleaning, imputation, uh, sample balancing, checking the model against 39 other different models, like different pipelines to use, whether or not to use um, any kind of differencing in the pipelines. Just everything that is, it's like a, it's like a hyper grid search. So if you enjoy rolling your own grid searches and like implementing a grid search with every single Python script you run and like doing that, I mean, sure. But like, if you don't enjoy that work, if what you want to do is like focus on the data and choosing the best model structure mm -hmm. to get the data to go where it needs to go and all the stuff that goes around this stuff, like the productionizing aspect, getting it out there to the customers, checking to see whether you're answering their pain points, checking to see whether it fits into the business strategy, like all that other stuff is what I'd rather focus on. Sure. And so to have someone automate out what I think of as the pretty tedious and straightforward, but now it's not straightforward. They've got like Kaggle experts doing this. So let me not even begin to imply that I could do it better. But what it, what it feels like to me is it feels like the first CPAs who got to see Excel working. Like you would have looked at that and been like, this is amazing. There's so much of my rote daily behavior that I don't have to do anymore. And now you would be extremely hard pressed to find a CPA that doesn't use Excel, right? Yeah. Like, yeah, yeah. I don't know if one exists. <laughs> Right. <laughs> and I think that's where we're headed with AutoML. It's not that it's going to get rid of data scientists. It's going to be like data science on steroids. Mm -hmm. So that has been really exciting to see and to be totally wrong about. So wrong about. <laughs> that's great. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I still dive into the data because it's oh, yeah. messy, right? Sure. And, and you want to understand you're going to get a better model if it's not garbage in. Yeah. So you want to understand like <laughs> how to clean it up, how to tidy it up, how to make it sane before you feed it into the model. And for me, understanding what the data is doing and how it is feeding into the model, what you are and are not getting signal out of is crucial for making the models better. Like, it's not just, I, part of me is like an academic, I want to understand what's happening in the ecosystem. Sure. But part sure. of me wants to know, like, 
if this is really informative for the model, I want to know that it's really informative and how, because we may have another data table out there with some related information mm-hmm. that it would make sense to add into this model and maybe make it a lot better. Right. So like that explainability thing that these things speed up, like knowing mm-hmm. which which of these things reliably pulls out, which of these attributes, which of the variables reliably pulls out signal from a number of different models will will tell you kind of how the world works a little bit. Mm-hmm. And yeah. that's useful for, for building a better model. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. It's yeah. interesting. It's just really fascinating. So, yeah, but like I, I definitely do not want to do a grid search to see all the different ways that I could lag a time series. I would like someone else to set that up for me automatically. There you go. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> so things we haven't talked about yet that you want to be sure to discuss, something I should have asked about that I didn't? Yeah, I think, you know, something interesting about working at DAT so we are, you know, we're freight and analytics. People hear about us and they're like, oh, trucking, you're in, com- you're in trucking. Um, we're actually a, an entire building full of nerds. Like, <laughs> it's just a giant pile of software nerds. We're, we're software as a service. And mm-hmm. so, like, it's always weird to me to go, I mean, people in, in town will be like, oh, DAT, you guys do software. But outside of town, people will be like, oh, trucking, what's that like? Um, <laughs> they you think you're hanging out at the Jubit's truck stop in North Portland? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Which I do, I do want to go. I want to go to Jubits and I want to like yeah. buy the truckers beers and ask them questions. Absolutely. But like, I've never driven a truck. I drive a Toyota Corolla. Come on. <laughs> we are like, we are, we are true blue nerds. We are a, a company full of product people and engineers. You know, um, I don't know. Apple, um, right. Google, <laughs> yeah. Facebook, uh, you know, Airbnb. Uh, we're, we're honestly in that space, but we have like decades and decades of data. Of proprietary data to work yeah. with. And it's just, I don't know, it, the remark is that I really lucked out. Like I, I took an interview with a trucking company and I was like, I've looked at the things you are requesting someone do and I'm pretty sure I could do that. Yes. <laughs> and I showed up and it was just like this wonderland of nerds and data. Yeah, that's awesome. That's awesome. So, I mean, keeping an open mind to the different opportunities that are out there and in different industries. I mean, that's one of the cool things about data science to me is that, you know, every industry yeah. needs it. And so... You can apply it to anything. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, I, I scraped the, I shouldn't say this. Um, well, they could pop me or not. Indeed. I don't resell their data, so it's legal. Uh, but I, I scrape Indeed's <laughs> hiring numbers for a number of oh, different yeah. things. <laughs> One of which being data science. And there has been over the course of, of the pandemic, like nothing but a steady increased desire for data scientists. And I well, think it makes sense. Mm-hmm. Like a lot of people are focused on data science as, you know, big data, neural nets, all that stuff. But there are so many companies with growing bodies of small data that they could extract real mm-hmm. revenue out of, like sure. really make that data useful to them. So I am I'm psyched to be in the field when it's growing in this way, like applications data scientists, people who are you know just in there to like a plumber yeah. <laughs> in there and do the job. Yeah. And when yeah. AutoML tools are coming online to make this stuff easier for uh, like the average person to use, like in analyst could do data science with with AutoML tools and AutoML platforms for DevOps. That's exciting. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Very cool. Yeah, that's actually <laughs> something that we didn't touch on. We didn't really talk about the effects of the pandemic on your work. Is that something that has... <laughs> <laughs> I mean, we don't have to talk about it if it's, you know... Ugh. It's touched us a little bit. Yeah. Early days, we were all on Slack and our, our director was meeting with FEMA once a week. Oh, so that was wow. really exciting. Yeah. That's why. <laughs> yeah. Because, you know, I mean, they wanted to know 
whether people were going to have food in the grocery stores. Like, there were a <laughs> bunch of big open questions in the early lockdown of like, how are we going to move freight across the country when freight is driven by human beings that can catch this disease? And a lot of them are for the baby boom generation. Sure. Like, right. They were, they were, truckers were worried that they would get sick and their dog who travels with them in the cab of their truck was going to have nowhere to go because they were going to oh. be in a strange town. Oh. Right? Yeah. Like, it was crazy. It was, it was a very, and then the rates have the spot rates. So the rates that we track have shot off the chart. Like they, wow. trucking is a, is a cyclical thing. So we have these long periods where there's too many trucks and then we have long periods where like the, a bunch of trucks leave the market and now there's too much freight. Mm. And in the times when there's more freight than trucks, the rates go high, like the rates to ship stuff go high. And then that draws a bunch of trucks back into the market. And so then you have too many trucks and not enough freight and the rates go low. <laughs> I like think it's this, it's these long-term macroeconomic cycles. And the one that we are in right now is like unprecedented. Wow. Because... Of all these imbalances, like freight coming in from weird parts of the world and manufacturing being shut down and then turned back on and like all the networks are off balance. And so spot rates are just off the charts and have been for quite some time. Wow. So, yeah, our world has been very rocked by the pandemic, uh, like everyone else's world. But yeah. yeah, it's been very, very interesting to watch. Yeah, <laughs> for sure. Well, and with access to the kind of data that you have, I mean, I'm sure that's been super oh, interesting to to observe. Super interesting. Yeah. High frequency, real time data. data. Yeah. Like we can see what's happening in the economy on like a daily and even hourly situation. And that's really sure. fun. Yeah, for sure. Cool. Anything else? <laughs> uh, no. <laughs> I mean, my dog has been growling in his sleep for about 15 Aww. minutes now so that's cool <laughs> would you like to know what i'm drinking <laughs> oh yes 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 we forgot oh my goodness i've been so distracted by my stupid internet that i forgot so do you have anything special that you're enjoying there with you today i do i have the most insufferable portland answer for this i love it <laughs> my my pandemic hobby was to start to roast my own coffee oh fun so, nice i i still don't know if i'm very good at it or not I mean, my friends are all polite, so who knows? And like my dad's <laughs> not going to tell me it's bad. But I did recently, I went on a business trip and I came back and I had run out of my hand roasted coffee and had to oh. use the stuff that I was using before, which is like oh. locally roasted coffee. It's fine. Mm -hmm. And what I have discovered is that I don't know whether my coffee is good, but I hate what I was drinking before now. Wow. <laughs> how interesting. So I am drinking a, a dark roasted Brazilian pea berry from uh, Serena. The 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 region is Serena. Very nice. Yeah, that is my insufferable <laughs> Portland answer. Yeah, what, like, what are you drinking? <laughs> it reminds me of the name of the chicken episode in Portlandia. <laughs> yes, yes, it is very much the name of the chicken. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, when you know the town, that's like next level right there. Um, I we the place that we recently moved to has not very good tasting drinking water. Um, so my husband has been trying I think every single Lacroix flavor. And we are now on. I love this game, Guava Sao Paulo. So yes. Oh. So, what's your favorite Lacroix flavor? You know, probably just like lime. I like a, a okay. the stronger flavors. Um, but yeah, this one's not bad. This is the first one I've had out of this case. So we are going through it, though. You should uh, produce some increased shipments of Lacroix to <laughs> New Fort Oregon at this rate. <laughs> Get in there, see what our commodities notes say. <laughs> Thanks for listening to our Data Science Mixer Chat with Cynthia O'Rourke. Join us on the Alteryx community for this week's cocktail conversation to share your thoughts. Here's our conversation starter for this week. 
Cynthia and I talked about the truck stop where her company's origin story began. Have you ever taken a field trip to a specific place to inform your data science work or to better understand your industry? Tell us about it and share how it changed your work. Share your thoughts and ideas by leaving a comment directly on the episode page at community.alterix.com slash podcast, or post on social media with the hashtag data science mixer and tag Alteryx. Cheers.